Hello, one and all. It's Chappie, the British butler. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese, episode 76. We're having a slightly different show today that I, than the one I had planned originally, uh, full of the usual nonsense and buffoonery. Uh, but today, <clears throat> we're going to have a little nonsense and some buffoonery. Um, but we're going to be celebrating His Royal Highness Prince Philip today. Uh, who passed away earlier, British summertime, this morning. And we're going to be looking at, you know, the real Prince Philip. How he would like to be seen, warts and all. Uh, a dedicated servant to the British people, the Commonwealth around the, around the world. And that's what we're going to be doing. We're not going to be too mournful, too sad. We're going to look at some of his gaffes, some of his stories, and what a story it was. A fabulous tale of a prince or a pauper becoming a prince and you know there was a lot of controversy along the way but his steadfast leadership helped the queen through many troubled times and remember this guy served was one of the last people who are still alive who served in World War II so today we're celebrating and it's keep coming cauliflower cheese I'm your host, Chappie, and it's episode 76. I mean, amazingly, amazingly, I think Prince Philip, um, it, that, that was from the Queen's 85th birthday. 
God Save the Queen. Um, amazingly, I think Prince Philip actually knew the words to the second verse. And very few people know the words to the second verse of God Save the Queen. So that was, uh, that was very impressive. Also, a gentleman who was 99, um, and uh, I mean, he was close to 90 at this time. I think he was 90. I mean, he was still standing. He had a hip operation. He never was seen using really a walker, I don't believe, in public. Uh, I mean, this is an amazing uh, stoic individual um, who stood by the Queen for many, many years. So, as I said, it is uh, it is going to be it is going to be a celebration, and uh, we're going to look at some of the more interesting aspects of Prince Philip's life in today's episode. And uh, tomorrow we'll probably be back to normal. Uh, I'm going to take an assessment of the a little litmus test, raise my finger in the air, lick it, see which way the wind's blowing tomorrow, and I think we'll be back to a normal procedure and normal uh, light comedy served uh, on a butler's silver platter tomorrow. Okay, so keep calm and cauliflower cheese. What are we looking at today? Some of the things that we may or may not be talking about today uh, on this, uh, this very sad day. But as I said, we're raising hats aloft. We're waving our ascots in the air. I'm, I'm so sorry, sir. I didn't put a black tie on. I have a very dark suit on, but I have an open neck, dark black ascot today. Um, just need a little bit of uh, air around the, uh, the double chin today. Uh, wafting away any cobwebs so uh sir if you're listening up in up in heaven then uh then please forgive me for my uh my stature today uh without a doubt so some of the things as i said that we may or may not be talking about today how did he make a kilt look elegant in family videos um he was her strength and stay for 70 years uh, recreated his character and personality to support her. Uh, also, Prince Philip was basically, that's how they met. She was He was the Queen's babysitter. And then obviously they met later and dated after that. But originally he met and they were the, he was the Queen's babysitter just for a very short time. Uh, and then he was a great sportsman. I mean, he, uh, he rode the carriages like uh, it was the Le Mans uh, 24-hour race going at hell of a speed um and also uh keen cricketer we'll be looking at his uh exploits on the cricket pitch uh, as well he loved the environment the duke of edinburgh award um something that i didn't take part in but uh you know i had my own very own sort of duke of edinburgh award going on uh during the time he was smuggled into the country in a orange box crib um as well so i mean there's many uh, many stories uh, along the way here that uh, we're going to be uh, looking at and uh, and analyzing a little bit more um related to every royal family member in europe um related to queen victoria and prince christian F- philip's dna was used when identifying the sars remains i mean uh we've got a we've got an interesting delve into history over the course of the next hour or so on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. So as a baby, Prince Philip survived a dangerous war in Greece by smuggled out in a fruit crate. Uh, when you think of Prince Philip, the man lucky enough to be married uh, to a Queen Elizabeth, 
You see a strong brooding figure, of course. Over the years, we've also learned he can loosen up and dry laugh or two. Long before he set eyes on his royal wife, however, the young prince was facing a hectic family drama from an incredible early age. Born on June 10, 1921, Philip's father, Prince Andrew of Greece and Denmark, around that same time, Greece was in the middle of the Greco-Turkish War. Not long after celebrating his first birthday, Philip and his family were forced to evacuate the country for their own safety. Unsurprisingly, that was a chaotic time for the whole family and they didn't have enough time to make sure Philip had a proper cot or carriage to carry him in. They had to think quickly and figure out a decent method of transporting the young prince so the family got creative. Their solution was tucking the tiny Philip into a fruit crate, more specifically a crate of oranges, according to Prince Philip's turbulent early years, a biography written about him. It might not have been the most comfortable means of travel for the 18-month Philip, but it managed to help the royal crew successfully flee the safety with their youngest family member alongside them. As a royal consort to the Queen and a decorated war veteran, uh, beloved grandfather uh, and great-grandfather, Prince Philip had certainly come a long way from his more troubled early years and reached the ripe old age of 99 before his passing today um, and uh, certainly had a relaxed lifestyle these days compared to his upbringing. But he really did set apart and rip up the whole sort of royal family traditions, whether it be the coronation, whether it be bringing cameras into the royal family in 1969 for a documentary that went missing and hidden for many, many years. But he sort of ripped it up and started to de- started again from his life, his early life, being shipped in an orange crate. So what was the truth about the first time Queen and Prince Philip met? Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip have been together the better part of a century, 73 years. Their enduring devotion for each other had been an inspiration for decades and it started with a memorable first encounter. Queen Elizabeth was just 13 years old when she first met the man who had become her husband. It was in 1939 and the then princess was accompanying her parents, King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, on a trip to Britannia, Royal Naval College. The young Prince Philip, then 18, was a cadet at the school and was assigned to keeping the young princesses and her sister, Princess Margaret, entertained. The young royal was quickly smitten. It was shortly before the outbreak of Second World War, says Royal Historian Christopher Warwick. There had been an outbreak of measles or chickenpox at the Royal Naval College, so Philip had been delegated to look after them and play games with Elizabeth and Margaret. And when he got tired of playing train sets with them, he famously known what he said, let's go and jump on the nets of the, over the nets of the tennis courts. And Princess uh, Elizabeth was just overwhelmed. Her governess, Marion Crawford, recalled that the, Elizabeth said, see how he jumps? Romance didn't bloom yet, as Queen Elizabeth was still quite young and Prince Philip had girlfriends of his own. But he didn't stripe up a friendship with the future queen. The two maintained a correspondence with each other and occasionally ran into each other as Prince Philip, a third cousin of Queen Elizabeth, through Queen Victoria, would stay at Windsor Castle when on leave at the Royal Navy during World War II. So he would see a lot of Princess Elizabeth when he was on leave. But otherwise, they, uh, they were told that they... Uh, and kept a cousinly correspondence. Warwick added that members of the royal family were hopeful that something more would come of the friendship. Prince Philip's uncle, Lord Mountbatten, reportedly spoke it, about it so much that George VI said, she's much too young. If it's going to happen, it will happen naturally. The pair did eventually fall in love and married in 1947. 
Warwick noted that Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip are the longest married couple in the history of Britain. The very fact that they've been married for 73 years speaks volumes and have withstood the test of primarily that they love each other very, very much. It's a very uh, symbiotic relationship and a very firm partnership, starting off, of course, with these early meetings, this early correspondence, which became a friendship, which became affection, and then became love. So Prince Philip was the original cheeky chappy. And scattered through this edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, we're going to have the funniest gaffes that made us cry with laughter and sometimes wince. So I have to edit some of these, and I've edited them already. But uh, here we go. Number one, ready for bed. He told the president of Nigeria while he was dressed in traditional robes, You look like you're ready for bed. Number two, horsing around. His daughter, Princess Anne, has a well-documented love of horses. In 1970, Prince Philip addressed this and said, If it doesn't fart or eat hay, she's not interested. Architectural advice. When the Duke of Edinburgh and the Queen visited the British Embassy in Berlin in 2002, he commented, It's a vast waste of space. Thirsty work, number five. Working as hard as Prince Philip can be thirsty work. In 2002, when he visited Italy with the Queen and Prince demanded, I don't care what kind it is, just get me a beer. After a long, hard meeting with Italian Premier Giuliano Amato. Pour your Royal Highness a beer then. Queen Elizabeth's coronation caused friction between her and Prince Philip for many reasons. Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip suffered from a great deal of friction during Her Majesty's coronation in 1953. Piers Brendan, a royal historian, said that Her Majesty's coronation took place one year after her father, George VI, died on February 6, 1952. During the preparations for the live broadcast of the Queen's coronation at Westminster Abbey, a lot of people were involved with the organisation. The Queen Mother, Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and, and according to Brendan, this left Prince Philip feeling unhappy. He said in the documentary The Queen's Coronation Behind Closed Doors that the Queen was the personification of duty and obedience at that time and she was aware that she had to sacrifice uh, a lot of things so she could be faithful to her role. Therefore, there was inevitably a good deal of friction with her husband. Uh, Also revealed that the royal couple's perception about royal duties triggered some of these feuds. Some marriages work because the people are very similar. Some work because the people are very different. The Queen and Philip are very different people and she sided with the old guard. Her Majesty was believed to be a traditionalist and she followed in the footsteps of her father. Prince Philip, on the other hand, had a very different approach. Meanwhile, the Queen and Prince Philip also had very different reactions to the death of George VI. Uh, Commander Michael Park, who was with the couple in Kenya when they found out the king was dead, said the Duke of Edinburgh uh, looked as though half of the world had dropped on him. He said that Prince Philip struggled to accept that the fact that his wife would become head of the Commonwealth, but Her Majesty was fully accepting of her new role. During the conversation, Prince Philip reportedly talked and talked while the Queen sat erect on the chair. When asked what name she would take, the Queen said Windsor. So, I mean, it's very interesting. Um, I don't know if uh, any of you uh, people out there have watched The Crown. And absolutely fascinating, the early episode where the Queen's in Kenya. She's basically in a treehouse with no communication. And uh, a messenger brings the news that her father had died while she's thousands of miles away in the plains of Africa 
with a new role probably 10 or 15 years before she expected it and the duty that she had and Philip to take on this role and, uh, and become the monarch and for him to become the consort. The longest serving uh, consort uh, in the history of the British royal family. Um, I mean, he was her strength and stay for 70 years. He recreated his character and personality to support her, really toning down his inherent masculinity. But it all started in a treehouse in Kenya many, many years ago. So I've been examining some of the uh, family videos of the royal family. Um, I've been watching the news uh, quite a bit today. And uh, there were some family videos of Prince Philip in a kilt playing with the children. And I mean, he really took on the role uh, as a dedicated sort of father. He played with the children. There's, there's pictures of him going downhill on a wooden bike in a kilt. Now, how anybody can go downhill on a bike in a kilt without revealing too much is amazing. I mean, he managed to make wearing a kilt look elegant. Now, I'm sure if I was wearing a kilt, which I, I may have dressed up as an ugly sister before, but I don't think I've ever worn a kilt. I've always promised many people that I'd turn up to a wedding in a kilt. But if I did it, I mean, all would be on show. You'd need an extra large sporran to cover up all indiscretions. But Philip carried out his duties, as always, with a lot of charm. Uh, and also, you know, a little bit of snarkiness now and again. But, you know, any man who can carry off wearing a kilt is uh, certainly hats off, but not kilts up. But he truly was a dedicated follower of fashion. So everybody knows my love of cricket. But Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, was a truly royal cricketer. By far the best cricketer in the royal family, we look back and celebrate the love and passion of Prince Philip had for the sport. The Duke's love for cricket began from a young age while attending school at Gordonston. He captained the first team and continued to play throughout his childhood. He was an all-rounder and is said to have used the lawn ten uh, tennis lawns at Windlesman Moor, a former royal residence for the couple, where he had practiced playing with, with, uh, with the servants. Her Majesty the Queen, then Princess Elizabeth, also encouraged to get involved with Michael Parker, the old Navy friend of the Prince Philip Hyde, as a wicketkeeper. Uh, in a photo in 1957, it shows Prince Philip playing in a charity match with a squad led by the Duke of Norfolk. Proceeds went to the National Playing Fields Association. In 2013, he stepped down from the role and was succeeded by Prince William. Once asked if there was anything he would change about modern cricket, I only wish that some of the trousers fitted better. He was a patron and 12th man at the Lord's Taverners, a charity which served as a leader supporting youth cricket until his death. Known for his off-the-cuff comments when opening a brand new stand at Lord's in 2017, he said, You're about to see the world's most experienced Plackenvaler. As well as his great service to the charity, he also played in Taverners 11 and helped to introduce the Lord Taverners ECB trophy. Uh, as his time as a uh, skipper, Glen Chapel of Lancashire described the Duke as funny, calling it a great honour to visit Buckingham Palace for the reception. Both Queen Elizabeth and the Duke have always been huge cricket fans, with it's rumoured that the Queen was once caught sneaking off early from an engagement to catch the day's highlights. I think she preferred, actually, uh, cricket to tennis. The pair even wrote to the England World Cricket uh, team in 2019 to wish them luck in the final. 
The resulting match was described as one of the greatest and most dramatic history of the sport. While the Duke of Edinburgh we rightly remember for his exceptional public service, his love of cricket allows him to remember the charming, most personal side that we don't get to see from the Royals. And he, apparently he bowled a very elegant offspin. So we have more glorious gaffes from Prince Philip. Politics and pants. When he met the then Scottish Tory leader Annabel Goldie, he said, That's a nice tie. Do you have any knickers in that material? Plain sick of it. He said of the Concorde, which flew over Buckingham Palace in 2002, before it's decommissioned, I must be the only person in Britain glad to see the back of that plane. The Queen of Tolerance. The Queen and Prince Philip have been married for 70 years. When speaking of the topic of marriage in 1997, the Duke of Edinburgh said, You can take it from me. The Queen has a quality of tolerance in abundance. And then tender times. He's well known for making gas, but Prince Philip's also pictured sharing tender moments with his family, especially Queen Anne, who used to be his favourite. And then uh, not snap happy. He lost his patience when an official photographer was taken uh, in 2015 at the RAF club and he was said to explain, just take the picture. As I said, Prince Philip had a fascinating life and his DNA was used to finally identify the bodies of Russia's royal family 75 years after they were murdered. The Duke of Edinburgh gave a blood sample in 1993 to help identify the Romanovs who were shot by communists in 1918. The Duke of Edinburgh gave a sample of his blue blood to scientists after the discovery in 1991 of mutilated remains suspected of being Tsar Nicholas and his wife and children. They're widely believed to have been gunned down and their bodies dumped in unmarked graves in 1918. A hundred years later, a new exhibition will reveal Philip's efforts to help solve the mysteries regarding the Romanovs. The Duke is a great nephew of Empress Alexandra Tsar Nicholas's wife, meaning genetic testing provided the key to discovering the fatal once and for all. Two years after the bodies were found, experts were able to extract Philip's DNA and match it with the samples taken from the skeletons as Tsarina and her two and her four daughters also executed in cold blood by the revolutionaries. I mean, that is something that I didn't know. Philip was truly related to many royal family members across the whole of Europe. It really was a family affair. So here are some fascinating facts about Prince Philip that we never knew. Monrepos was a Corfu villa where on June the 10th, 1921, Princess Alice had her fifth child. Her doctor thought it was more expedient for her to give birth on the dining room table rather than in the bed. Number two, her mother's childhood nickname for him was Bubbakins. Number three, he's Queen Victoria's oldest surviving great-great-grandchild. 30 years ago, he said, I'm really not interested in what goes on my tombstone. Watching the Queen Mother in her centenary year, he declared, God, I don't want to live to be 100. I can't imagine anything worse. He described um, to himself as uh, dopandology as the science of opening your mouth and putting your foot in it. Uh, once asked which country he'd rather still like to visit, he replied, Russia, although the bastards mar murdered half my family. His paternal grandmother was Tsar Nicholas I's granddaughter. And then, as I said previously, the 1993 blood sample was taken from Philip and allowed scientists to compare the DNA in the bones. His aunt, Princess George of Greece, documented, documented a list of her willing extramarital sexual partners and unpublished memoirs. She also believed part of her anatomy needed to be shifted to give her more pleasure. In a production of Macbeth at his school, Gordonston, Philip played 
Donalbane, son of the about-to-be-murdered King Duncan. His sister Cecile, her husband and the two sons were killed in an air crash in 1937. She was eight months pregnant and rescuers found remains. Uh, for years afterwards, uh, Philip carried a small piece of the damaged aircraft around with him. Philip always signs himself with the Greek P. Prince Philip has played several pranks on his wife, Queen Elizabeth II. Some of them generated a good laugh, while others backfired on the Duke. One instance, the dad of four wore the uniform of a royal guard to see if the Queen would realise who he was. The photo of the prince in a full military regalia. It was actually um, the Grenadier Guards outfit I posted uh, on my uh, Instagram feed this morning. The photo also shows the Queen walking in front of her husband with a huge smile on her face. By the looks of it, Her Majesty didn't fail to recognise who the man is underneath the uniform. That's so nice of him to make her smile. She loves the man against uh, all that they've done and very dignified. But there was an instance when Prince Philip's attempts at making the Queen laugh backfired. On one occasion, the Duke of Edinburgh hid one of his wife's corgis in the desk cupboard. When the Queen arrived and looked for the pet, Prince Philip said he didn't know where it was. However, Prince Philip prank backfired because the corgi made noise upon hearing the monarch's voice. Immediately after the dog, the Duke let the dog out and it ran towards the Queen. Unfortunately for the dad of four, the Queen was left unamused by what he did. In fact, the 93-year-old monarch uh, told her husband off and urged him to stop showing off to guests. After Her Majesty left the room, Prince Philip hit back with a scathing attack. Philip turned to the guest and said, who does she think she is? The Queen? The Queen obviously adores all corgis, and this is the main reason why she wasn't very pleased with the naughty prank. Prince Philip also played a joke on the Archbishop of York, John Sensamu, uh, when uh, he visited uh, uh, the, the Duke of Edinburgh. Uh, Sensamu uh, came towards the fireplace, and there was a piece of wood on the side. And Prince Philip exclaimed, well, "Would well, you like my?" fantastic piece of new age artwork uh, there uh, uh, your 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 worship and um Sentamu obviously you know, was looking at this like a piece of wood and uh was a little bit confused uh by uh the duke's tremendous artwork obviously and uh and then the duke said well it's a piece of wood your worship it's not really my type of artwork so the royal photographer arthur edwards um, put together a lovely little piece um, in one of the uh, British newspapers today. He talked about his first ever meeting with Prince Philip happened on a freezing New Year's Day at the Queen's Sandringham Estate. It was the late 70s and he stood for hours in the cold when he spotted the Duke of Edinburgh thundering towards him, driving a horse and carriage. As he drew near, I said, Happy New Year, sir! And Prince Philip shot, shouted back, Bullshit! Had to laugh, it summed him up. He could be gruff and rude, especially towards the press, who he viewed as irritating but necessary nuisance, but he could also be very kind and very, very funny indeed. Over the years, I came to know him well. When the Queen made her Diamond Jubilee speech, she said the country owed her husband a great debt of gratitude for the duty he had shown it. And that's very true. He served Britain very, very well, and without him, Her Majesty would be totally lost. Since the day they married, he was her absolute rock. He guided her, supported her, and loved her for all those years. She must be feeling his absence this moment very keenly because it was Philip, above anyone else, that she looked for for advice. She knew he would always tell her the truth because, to him, she was simply his wife. Although the Queen is head of state, he certainly was the head of the household. 
As naval commander, he was in charge, but from the day Elizabeth became queen, he would always walk two paces behind her in public. He'd always speak to the president's wife, not the president, the prime minister's wife, not the prime minister. Even though he took his royal duties very seriously, he was very fond of putting his foot in it when he had the chance. I think he actually liked causing controversy. Uh, Prince William and Harry once revealed how the Queen and Prince Philip found it very funny when things went wrong in royal tours. Apparently, he could get in a fit of giggles if something did not quite go to plan. Both had a great sense of fun. In private, Prince Philip was a loving and supportive father. He may have come across as, in public, very stern, but to his children, his proud, adoring dad, especially to Princess Anne, who is very much her father's daughter. Philip had a good relationship with all his grandchildren and to his staff, he was a great boss. He was extremely loyal to them and when they, uh, and they were to him. When one protection officer offered uh, a promotion, he turned it down because he, it meant leaving the Duke of Edinburgh's side. When another officer was sick and in hospital, the prince turned up unannounced, champagne in hand. One of my fondest memories of Prince Philip was in May 1993. The Queen was due to give a speech at the Commonwealth Institute, but had accidentally left her glasses behind. So Philip stepped in and read it for her, but he did not need the specs. Even, even towards the end of his life, he still had perfect vision. Watching the Queen carry out the duties alone, without the Prince standing at her side, ever watchful, ever loving, will always be sad. True, he could be gruff and crusty, but as a royal consort, he was fantastic. And in a role I never ever saw him put a foot wrong. I think Prince Philip would love this enigmatic English eccentric habits. And today we have Morris dancing. If there's one tradition in the UK that harks back to the olden days more than any other, it's definitely Morris dancing. No village show or folk festival in the UK is complete without the presence of a band of Morris dancers. Picture a group of men or women dressed in old-fashioned clothes with bells jingling on their legs, holding sticks or handkerchiefs, and dancing rhythmically to the simple traditional music played on a fiddle or an accordion. You get the idea. In fact, the description probably doesn't do it justice. So look up Morris dancing. Look up middle-aged men Morris dancing. The earliest written mention of Morris dancing dates to 1448. The record of a payment of seven shillings made to a group of Morris dancers by Goldsmith Company in London. It may have started much earlier than that. These days, six main styles of Morris dancing survive, and they're named after the regions they originate. You've got the Border Morris, the Cotswold Morris. It's English historical eccentricity at its finest. So they say that opposites attract, which certainly rings true when it comes to Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip's food preferences. The monarch has an infamously tame taste buds, no garlic. Her husband, though, liked to get a bit more adventurous. Prince Philip had a much broader palate than Her Majesty, former royal chef Darren McGrady said. The Queen eats to live where Prince Philip lives to eat. I know the feeling. Of course, tons of couples find themselves at odds while trying to choose a meal to share. As Queen, however, Elizabeth's preferences obviously take precedence in the palace kitchens. It always comes down to the queen hosting the meal, so you have to have everything that she likes. If only we had an actual crown to back up our food battles. According to the royal chef, there's also the hilarious reason Philip probably prefers the times when duty calls Elizabeth away from the dinner table. He finally gets to eat more flavorful dishes. When the queen was away on engagements, Prince Philip could taste all of his own favorite ingredients. McGrady explains he loved 
all of that sort of real spicy food he could explore more and enjoy those when the queen was away. Philip also liked bringing new food ideas into the palace from his travels. He gets excited when he's out of the country or in another country on an engagement. He often asks for the recipe. The Prince Philip also enjoys, enjoyed rolling up his sleeves to whip up a meal himself. McGrady remembers a night when Philip walked into the kitchen to ask about what was being prepared for dinner. A fancy lamb dish was on the menu for the royals, but when Philip saw a pile of lamb chops meant for the staff, he decided to take over cooking duties and serve meals up for everybody. He actually liked cooking on the grill that night, and he cooked for me. The moment uh, clearly made an impact on McGrady, who adds with a laugh, there was I, his chef. I mean, what was I supposed to do? Go out and do a royal engagement whilst he was doing my job in the kitchen? Philip's favorite dishes, apparently, is salmon, Sabuliak, um, is that's his absolute favorite dish of all. A lovely, fantastic seafood dish. So we're nearly at the end of the podcast today. Thank you very much for tuning in at Keep Cheese on Twitter. Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese on Instagram. I uh, hope you've uh, enjoyed this little uh, delve into Prince Philip's life, a fascinating life, a uh, interesting, sometimes controversial, witty and charming figure. Uh, but we're going to have a poem in a minute, uh, one of Prince Charles' favourite poems that, by Dylan Thomas that I'm sure his father would have enjoyed too. Uh, but Prince Philip, uh, as I said, an amusing figure. And this, as I recited earlier, one of my favourites is Prince Philip on the Queen. I think the main lesson we have learned is that tolerance is the one essential ingredient in any happy marriage. You can take it from me, the Queen has the quality of tolerance in abundance. And then he said, uh, to have been spared in the war and seen victory, to have been given the chance to rest and readjust myself, to have fallen in love completely and unreservedly, makes all one's personal and even the world's trouble seem small and petty. That was from a written letter to Princess Elizabeth circa 1946. And then, probably my favourite, where did you get that hat? That was just before the Queen's coronation. So we end today's podcast, uh, tribute to Prince Philip, uh, with uh, one of Prince Charles' favourite poems, Fern Hill, by Dylan Thomas. Now, as I was young and easy under the apple boughs, about the lilting house and happy as the grass was green, the nights above the dingle starry, time let me hail and climb, golden in the heydays of his eyes, and honoured among wagons I was prince of the apple towns. And once below a time I'd lordly had the trees and leaves, Trail with daisies and barley down the rivers of the windfall light. And as I was green and carefree, famous among the barns, about the happy yard and singing as the farm was home, in the sun that was young once only, time let me play and be golden in the mercies of his means. In the green and golden I was huntsman and herdsman and calves, sang to my horn, the foxes on the hill barked clear and cold, and the Sabbath rang slowly in the pebbles of the holy streams, all the sun long, it was running, it was lovely, the hay. Fields high as the house, the tunes from the chimneys, it was air. And playing lovely and watery, and fire green as grass, and nightly under the simple stars. As I rode to sleep, the owls were bearing the farm away. All the moon long I heard, blessed among stables, the night jars, flying with the ricks and the horses flashing in the dark. And then to his awake and the farm like a wanderer white, with the dew come back, the cock on the shoulder, it was all shining, it was Adam and Maiden. The sky gathered again, and the sun grew round that very day. 
so it must have been after the birth of the simple light, in the first spinning place, the spellbound horses walking, warm, out of the whinnying green stable, onto the fields of praise. And honoured among foxes and pheasants by the gay house, under new, made clouds and happy as the heart was long, in the sun born over and over, I ran my heedless ways. My wishes raced through the house, high hay, and nothing I cared about, blue sky trades, that time allows, in all his tuneful tuning so few and such mourning songs, before the children green and golden follow him out to the grace. Nothing I cared in the lamb-white days that time would take me, up the swallow thronged, loft by the shadow of my hand, in the moon that was always rising, nor that was riding to sleep. I should hear him fly with the high fields, and wake to the farm, forever fled from the childless land. Oh, as I was young and easy in the mercy of his means, time held me green and dying, though I sang in my chains like the sea. Let's hope that the death of Prince Philip can help the royal family reconcile a little bit over the coming months and years. But there we go. That's been a tribute to Prince Philip. It's Chappie the butler out. I'll be back tomorrow with a normal more usual type of podcast keep coming cauliflower cheese will be episode 77 but until then have a lovely night and thank you for joining me